Let's take our Bibles and we will turn to the book of Revelation chapter 13. Now as we come to this text, we find a passage of Scripture that talks about two prominent leaders who are leaders of the kingdom of this world. As you remember, when we were looking into chapter 11, the passage of Scripture in chapter 11 shared with us that the kingdom of this world is passing and the kingdom of heaven has come. We have seen the leader of the king of, kingdom of this world, Satan, uh, in chapter 12, uh, presented to us as one who is already defeated, but who will unleash his wrath on the earth because of that defeat. But now as we come to Revelation chapter 13, we're going to see two prominent leaders who will be a part of the future of this world. And those leaders are the Antichrist and the false prophet. Now, many of you probably have some strange views of the Antichrist. If you've watched any movies that deal with the Antichrist, you've probably walked away with some really poor theology about who he is and what he does. As a matter of fact, we will often hear people talk about someone that they don't like as being the Antichrist, and let me assure you, they don't qualify. Uh, what we're going to see as we come to this 13th chapter is there is going to be a figure who raises to world prominence and who will persecute the church and blaspheme God. And that figure is identified in the Scripture as the beast, but he is one that we also know as the Antichrist. So let's get down to business, shall we? Let's look at this 13th chapter. And what we want to see is there are two beasts that are mentioned in the 13th chapter. The one is the beast out of the sea, and this would be the person that we most normally think of in Scripture as the Antichrist. The second one that we'll see a little later in the passage is the beast who comes from the land, and we will see him associated with a prominent figure called the false prophet. And what we want to do as we look at these is understand these are actual human beings. These are people who will be doing things that are despicable. These are prophetically presented to us as people who are going to be under the thumb of Satan, under the guidance of Satan, and they will deceive many, many people. Now, there's a warning in this. The deceiver, Satan, is going to be the principal power behind these two figures. And we get a sense of that as we look at the end of the 12th chapter. Notice the 12th chapter, after it discusses Satan being cast from heaven and making mention that he knows that his time is short, we find the 12th chapter end with kind of an ominous statement about Satan. And it says this, and he stood on the, stand, the sand of the sea. So, so if this were a TV series, that would be like the cliffhanger to bring you back next week. And that's exactly what we find here as we come to chapter 13. What we find is one who comes out of the sea. Notice what the first verse of the 13th chapter says. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. Now, we know that this 
beast has been described for us already in chapter 12. And that description was that of Satan. In the passage that we looked into last week, Satan was described in all of these ways. But what we find here is this beast that rises out of the sea is one who will have political power, uh, one who will seek to rule the earth, and one who will rise to prominence. And when the Scripture describes him as coming out of the sea, we have to wonder, what is the Scripture talking about? In prophecy, very often the sea represents the sea of humanity, the large group of human beings that are on planet earth. What this is telling us is this beast, this antichrist, will be a human being. He will be one who is born and raised and comes into prominence at some point out of the sea of humanity. Something else that maybe we don't recognize because we don't live in the first century. I don't think there's anybody in this room who lived in the first century, is there? Some of us may look like it, <laughs> but we weren't there. But here's what, what we see. The Scripture shares with us that this beast comes out of the sea. In our culture, we don't think of bad things coming from the sea. But in the first century... Many times, invaders would come from the sea. Any country that was in coastal lands watched the sea all the time because at any point, ships could come over the horizon and bring devastation and ransack and pillage any of the communities that lived along the sea. Often, that's where conquerors came from with their navies. What is also, I think, being communicated by this beast coming out of the sea is the idea that the Antichrist will come on the scene, and although we might catch a glimpse of him in the distance, he will be on us before we know it, and he will wreak havoc, and he will do horrible things to all of humanity. So this is this beast that rises out of the sea. Something else, when we look at the fact that he has blasphemous names on his head, this describes really the attitude of the Antichrist. Now, what is blasphemy? Blasphemy, very simply, is speaking contemptuous words, even wicked words, toward another individual. As a matter of fact, our English word blasphemy comes directly from the Greek, and it means to speak evil of. This is something that this being, this Antichrist, will do. He will speak evil things against God and against God's people, which shows us where his motivation comes from. You see, because Satan opposes God and opposes the people of God, naturally what we find in this text is his puppet, the person who is under his control, the Antichrist, will do the same. Now, something very interesting, the same person who wrote the book of Revelation also wrote the book of 1 John. And interestingly, John spoke about antichrists in that passage. He says this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 2, "...by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God." Now, look at the next statement. 
This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So what he's talking about is this. There are precursors to the ultimate Antichrist. Anyone who stands against truth about who Jesus is has the spirit of the Antichrist. They are not the actual Antichrist, they are precursors. But as evil and as damaging and as deceptive as each figure in history and those to come have tried to draw people away from a right understanding of who Jesus is, there is one who will come who will stand against God, stand against the Messiah, and stand against all of God's people in a way that has never been seen or experienced before. This is the beast, the Antichrist, who is described in this passage. That tells us some important truths about the Antichrist, but it goes on. Look at verse 2. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Now, this is where when we look in the book of Revelation, we see some of these grotesque descriptions, and we scratch our heads and we say, what in the world is he talking about? And in order to understand this, we have to go back into the book of Daniel. You see, in the book of Daniel, various beasts were descriptive of various kingdoms that raised up. For instance, let's look at this list in verse 2, and notice that it says, first of all, the beast that he saw was like a leopard. In Daniel's vision, in the book of Daniel, we're not going to take time to go back into it, but I would encourage you to read Daniel a little bit later. The leopard was a description of none other than Alexander the Great. He swiftly conquered the world, the then known world. So he came on the scene and his advance was rapid. This is a picture of what the Antichrist will be like. He will come on the scene rapidly and he will gain prominence. Its mouth was like that of a lion. Now there was an ancient culture that was a picture of the lion. That was Babylon. Babylon was an overwhelming empire that just crushed the other nations around it and dominated. This is a description of what the Antichrist's rule will be like. And then another description its feet were like a bear's. Now, in Daniel's vision, the bear represented Persia. And Persia was another country that raised into prominence, dominated other nations. So, what we find in this text is, as each ancient empire came into prominence and dominated the world, this is what we will expect when the Antichrist comes on the scene and begins to establish his kingdom. But great insight is given in this next part of the second verse because it says, and to the dragon, uh, to it, the, the beast, the dragon gave his power and his throne and his authority. Listen, the Antichrist who comes on the scene will not just be a charismatic individual that people look at and say, wow, they're wonderful, we really want to gravitate toward this person. There is going to be satanic deception and satanic power behind this figure. Some people even believe that perhaps he is even possessed by Satan. As he leads, their connection will be so strong. This is a warning to all people 
that we can't always follow what everybody in the world follows. Because at this point, the whole world, as we'll see, will follow Satan and his puppet, the Antichrist, given power and authority by Satan. But then the text goes on. As we come to the next part of this passage, we see that the Antichrist will beguile the world. And by the way, if you're following along, in your bulletins are outlines, and in the outlines are blanks. And in those blanks, the highlighted words, the yellow words, go in the blanks. Um, I know some of you play the game where you try to figure out what I'm going to say next because I find your bulletins that are scratched out with the wrong answer and then the right answer written over it. Whatever holds your attention. But here, the text talks about him beguiling the world. Now, as you know, to beguile means to deceive someone, to seduce, to draw someone in. And this is certainly what the Antichrist will do. Look at verse 3. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole world marveled as they followed the beast. Now, here's what prophecy tells us. This world figure that will raise to prominence, that will dominate the world, will appear to die. A mortal wound means that it has every appearance of death. This will be the great deception. And here's something we need to recognize. Satan, as the great deceiver, is also the great counterfeiter. He will take things that are true and things that are of God, and he will mimic it. He will make it appear as though a miracle has taken place in order to draw people in to follow the beast who is under his thumb and under his control. And so a great fraud will be perpetrated on all of the culture. And can't we see how this could be? When we look at our world, people are sheep. They follow whatever they're told to follow. And any kind of dramatic situation can draw them right in and they'll believe it and swallow it hook, line, and sinker. This is what will happen when it comes to the Antichrist. And the Scripture warns us that the whole earth will marvel and then follow the beast. Now, this word marvel, it's an important word because it describes for us a reaction that people had to Christ's ministry. When you look in the Gospels and Christ did an authentic miracle, how did the people respond? The people would respond by marveling. It means that you look at something and you say, how can this be? This is beyond, this, this defies explanation. This is what the beast will perpetrate on the people. And they will buy into it, and as a result, they will follow the beast. But then look at verse 4. And they worshipped the dragon. Now we see the reason that Satan is inspiring this Antichrist the beast. He is inspiring him to do all of these things because Satan's desire from the time that he fell on was to usurp the position of God. When we look in the Old Testament and the accounts that describe the fall of Satan, you know what we find? We find Satan wanting to rise to the position of the Most High God. When we look 
at Jesus' temptation during the 40 days of temptation that he suffered and at the conclusion, uh, the, 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 the acts of Satan, the temptations of Satan, one of the things that he tempted Jesus with was what? Bow down and worship me. This is a goal, a desire of the evil one to usurp worship that belongs to God and direct it to himself. And so that's exactly what he's going to do during this time. He is going to finally experience what he has been seeking through the agency of the Antichrist. Notice it goes on to say, they worshiped the dragon for he had given authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? Now, this worship that is directed toward the beast, this quote I don't think is just a random quote where it says, who is like the beast and who can fight against it. When we look in the Old Testament, this is a phrase that is reserved for God alone. The uniqueness of God, who is like God. You'll find that throughout the Psalms, throughout praise passages, the question will be, who is like God? So here, this is applied to the beast. He will become God for these people. They will be worshiping Him. And then who can fight against it? Again, when we look in the Psalms, these are praises that are reserved for God. But here, the Antichrist receives it because he has deluded the people into believing that he is something that he's not. Then we come to the next part of this passage. The Antichrist will blaspheme God. He will deceive the people. And once he has the people, he will point them in a way that is against God. Now, bear this in mind. This takes place after several horrible disasters have hit the earth. Plagues, famine, war, death destruction. Can't you imagine that the Antichrist would come on the scene and shake his fist at God and say, if you're really God, how could you allow these things to happen? And he will probably have a disillusioned, angry world who will join them in rejecting God. The fifth verse says, the beast was given a mouth utterly haughty and blasphemous words and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Now, this is in keeping with what we've seen in other passages in the book of Revelation. During one half of a seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist will raise into prominence and he will persecute the people of God in any way that he can. And during that time of persecution, he is going to turn the world toward him and away from God. And so he's going to say proud things about how great he is, and he's going to say blasphemous things about how awful God is, and that's the direction that the whole world will flow because of his charismatic personality. Now, we can see where this is possible. Look at how trends come into prominence in our world today. And that's with a Christian presence that pushes back. Imagine a world where there is no Christian presence to push back 
against what the world says when it blasphemes God. This will take place during the tribulation. We believe the church has been raptured out of the tribulation, but for those who are left on earth, there won't be that voice that the church has provided, that voice that speaks of God. Then look at what else we find in this text. Verse 6 goes on to say this, It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. He expands His blasphemy to include not only God, but heaven itself and the angels and those who have died and are in the presence of God. All of those will be blasphemed by the beast and the whole world will be sucked in to that attitude. We can see an anti-God trend in many in our culture. The secularism of our world has gained prominence. We can see the world try to disrespect followers of God, God Himself. If we publicly praise God, there is a climate that tells us we can't do that. I remember as a youth where it was appropriate to praise God publicly. Now, can't do it. Imagine that attitude on steroids. Imagine that attitude where there isn't a Christian voice to push back and say, we have to praise God. The world is ripe for that kind of attitude to be engendered by the Antichrist. Something else we find. As we come to verse 7, we see that He will bring suffering and even death to God's people. Now, during the tribulation, there will be those who find faith in God. We know that 144,000 Israelites from 12 tribes, 12,000 each, will be protected by God. But there will be others who are followers of God, and they will be persecuted intensely for their faith by the Antichrist. Look at what the text tells us in verse 7. And it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. During this seven years of tribulation, as the Antichrist raises into prominence, there will be terrible attacks against the people of God. And it goes on to say, that authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name was not written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. Most of the world will follow the Antichrist. Right now, the path is narrow that leads to God. During the tribulation, it will be razor thin. Very few will be followers of God. And when it describes people from every nation, every tribe, every language being followers of God, this is a worldwide religion that is centered on the Antichrist. And those who refuse 
whose names have been written in the book of life, will pay dearly for being faithful to God. Now, as a sidebar for just a moment, what is the Lamb's book of life? The Lamb's book of life are all of those who are true believers in God, who have come to a personal relationship with God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have placed your personal faith in Jesus Christ as your hope of forgiveness and salvation, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. During the tribulation, when you recognize that Jesus is Messiah and that this Antichrist is a false god, when you recognize that, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But there are many who will not do that. They would prefer to worship the beast and to reject God. And the ninth verse goes on to warn those who have their faith in God rather than worshiping the Antichrist, the following. Verse 9, if anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. Some who are followers of God will face incarceration. They will be thrown in concentration camps, prisons, who knows. But they will be led off into captivity where no doubt they will be pressured to abandon their faith and to confess the Antichrist. It goes on to say, if anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. There will be those who will give their lives because they are followers of God and not the Antichrist. And here's the challenge to those who face that decision. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Their persecution will require endurance during this time. They will have to stay strong in what they believe and not be seduced into worshiping the beast or pressured into worshiping the beast. It's more important that they worship God than go along to get along. Now, that's ominous. But we come to the next part of the passage where a second beast is described for us. As we come to verse 11, we see the beast who is out of the earth. The Scripture tells us that he will become a prominent spokesman for the beast. And notice what it says. Then I saw another beast rising out of the sea, and it had horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. Now again, the imagery of this um, this person will not look like a lamb but have a dragon's voice. That's imagery that's painting for us a picture. When we think of a lamb, we think of a cute, cuddly, non-threatening little critter, right? Initially, the false prophet will be one that we look at who might be unassuming, who has power that we can't anticipate, but one who will raise into prominence and become the false prophet that directs as many as he can toward the Antichrist. And here's the clue about his power. Look at the very last part of that 11th verse. It spoke like a dragon. Satan is the voice behind the false prophet. He uses him as a vessel to deceive 
to crush people, to persecute Christians, all of this, he will be a wonderful spokesman. He will know how to manipulate crowds. He will know how to frame things so that people will want to believe him. This is this second figure that raises during the tribulation. But then we move into the 12th through 15th verses, and we find something else. He will be the chief priest behind a new religion. That new religion will be a religion that worships the beast. Look at verse 12. It exercises all authority of the first beast in its presence. And look at this. And makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, the Antichrist, whose mortal wound was healed. So here he is, the spokesman. He'll be a master at social media. He'll be a master at television, marketing, all of the things that will allow people to gain trust in the beast, he'll be a master at. He'll know how to work all of those tools. And what we see is his mission is to raise more people to worship the beast. Look at verse 13. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. Now, this word signs is another word that we often find in the Gospels. They were attesting miracles as to the authority and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Satan, the great counterfeiter, will have counterfeit miracles. And one of them that's mentioned here is calling fire down from heaven. Does that sound familiar? In the Old Testament, there was a contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And if you remember, in the passage that talks about that, Elijah called down fire from heaven to consume a sacrifice and an entire altar and water that had been poured over the altar. Satan will counterfeit that miracle. And again, people will swallow it, hook, line, and sinker. Look at verse 14. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived, and it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Now, this is the great deception. He's going to make an idol to the beast. And then, whether it's technology, whether it's uh, a delusion, we don't know. But this idol that he creates that represents the beast will be given the appearance of breath and life, and people will worship the idol. Now, here's the important truth that Scripture shares with us about idol worship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul says this, No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God 
I do not want you to be participants with demons. Listen, there's nothing benign about idol worship. When we idol worship, we are not worshiping that stone. We are worshiping a demon that is inspiring that faith, that belief, that religion. And so, in essence, we're worshiping demons. This image that the beast will create, the second beast, will draw attention to the head of demons, Satan, but it will also inspire people to worship demons that will be behind the miracles and the deceptions that are taking place in the world. And then we come to the last part of this passage. In verses 16 and 17, we see what is probably the most well-known part of the book of Revelation, the number 666. How many of you have heard the number 666? You know, um, it's faded now, but we had new sidewalk poured well before I came 25 years ago. And a scholar decided to write into the picture uh, uh, um, of the well, excuse me, not the picture, the, the concrete, he decided to scroll in there in the wet concrete a message. And it said 666. It had an upside-down cross. And then he was so scholarly, he said Satan instead of Satan. <laughs> so, wasn't that great a speller, but everybody probably has heard of this name or this number 666. So let's see what the Scripture actually says about it. In verse 16, it says this, also it, referring to this false prophet, the beast, causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. Now, there will be a sign that has some sort of association with the number 666. And believe me, people have tried to figure out what that number 666 represents. Some people have been extremely creative in identifying it. They do all kinds of mathematical hijinks to somehow arrive at someone's name being 666 or at some group being represented by 666. Um, if, If you get 666 and a string of numbers that somebody has, people freak out. I'm convinced that according to this passage of Scripture, this mark that is required is a mark that will be accepted because look at what the Scripture says. In verse 17, it says, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name, This calls for wisdom. Let no one who has understanding calculate the number, or let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, and his number is 666. So, whatever this number is, and my personal conviction is we won't have any idea what that number is until this event takes place. I don't think we can look ahead. And by the way, you'll hear things like chips in the credit card or chips that they want for identification. Um, are all having to do with this number 666. What I see in this text is this. This is a number that people accept in full knowledge that they are worshiping Satan. When we look in the ancient Near East, slaves would often be marked 
as slaves of a certain master by having the master's name on their hand, because that was a prominent place, or on their forehead, because everybody sees the forehead. And so it was an identification with a master. I would submit to you that during the tribulation, there will be those who willingly mark themselves so that everybody can see that they are followers of the beast. And the way this will be marketed for security purposes, we want you to have this mark and you must have it before you can buy or sell. Now, what does that do to you if you don't have the mark? You starve. You are isolated. You're in hiding. What the Scripture is telling us is this will be a horrible time for people who believe in God because the whole of the world will be against you. If you don't have that displayed, you will be reported. You will face consequences. All of those warnings come to us as we look at Scripture. So, we see this passage of Scripture that talks about the Antichrist, that talks about the false prophet. Why is it included in Scripture? It's included in Scripture because it's true. These are things that will take place in the future. How it all shakes out, what it all means, we can't bring it down to a level to where we can dot every I and cross every T as to what it means. But we get a general sense, and the general sense is this. People during the tribulation will have to make a decision. Do I follow God, or do I buy in to a world system that rejects Him? But you know, as I thought about that a little bit more, I thought that's not just true during the tribulation. That's a decision that we all have to make today. Do I follow God? Do I put my faith in Jesus Christ and what He did for me on the cross so that I can have a relationship with the Father? And even if it means suffering rejection by the world around me, I follow Him. That's a decision that we all have to make and let me also say this, it's not a one-and-done decision. All of us are thrust into circumstances where we have to make a decision on the spot. Do I take a stand in this right here, right now? There are consequences, terrible consequences for those who choose to be followers of God, and there are terrible consequences for those who choose not to be a follower of God, and it's all laid out for us in God's Word. But let me share this with you. Don't just look ahead and think, oh, these are terrible things for whoever has to experience these things. Think about your own commitment to God. If you are not willing to take a stand for God during a time of relative ease, how difficult would it be to take a stand for God during a time of extreme persecution? And by the way, I believe that persecution will intensify as these end times come on the scene. We can't assume that we will always have the freedom to worship that we have. We can't assume that it will always be easier to be a follower of God 
In many countries today, there are people experiencing very similar things to what is described here in the book of Revelation. We have been blessed by God to not experience those things. But the question I would ask you to ask yourselves, I don't want to see any indication of where you are on it or what's going on with it. Ask yourselves this question. Am I following God right now, faithfully, in this time that is easier? There is the spirit of the Antichrist in our world today. How do we respond? How do we live? Let me also say this. If you have never come into a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, do not put it off. The Scripture tells us today is the day of salvation. We don't know if we will be deceived or if we will lose interest or if we will harden our heart to what God freely offers to us in the way of a relationship. So my encouragement to you is if you don't know where you stand with God today, get that settled. At the close of the service, I'll be at the back door. TJ, who came up and gave announcements early on. Len, who read scripture. Any of us would love the chance to sit down with you and talk about where you stand in your relationship with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage of scripture and its clarity. God, may we be faithful. May we endure. And God, may we represent your truth in a way that honors and glorifies you. Let us decide to be followers in the situation that we're in now. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.